Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today podcast is brought to you in part by Beck Dental Care, Columbia Academy, Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, The Rock Place, and Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. Specializing in orthopedic injuries, their ortho-quick walk-in service lets you bypass the ER. Visit them online at mtvj.net. Middle Tennessee Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. It is another beautiful day here in Columbia, Tennessee, where Summertown has a 2-0 lead in their quarterfinal matchup and a 2-0 lead in game number three. So, looks like they are in full control of Watertown currently. And your screen just froze. Uh, frozen screens. What are you going to do? There we go. What, what can you do? <laughs> you, you can't do much. Um, right now, though, we want to bring in at 23 minutes past the hour of 10 o'clock, our friends from VandySports.com, Chris Lee, joins us. Chris, welcome in. Good morning. Chris, appreciate you joining us here. Um, Chris is the publisher of VandySports.com and has been on that athletic scene there on West End for 15 years or more. 18, 18. but who's counting? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, eight, 18 years in Vanderbilt years is is a lot longer, though, right? <laughs> I think it works like dog years. Yeah, yes. that's kind of what I was afraid of. Um, no, Chris, just wanted to – what prompted me to, to reach out to you was, you know, we saw that Vanderbilt's game with Missouri this past weekend was, was postponed due to COVID concerns on the part of the Commodores. They have an off week this week, and then they are supposed to play Ole Miss on Halloween. Um, as we were talking briefly off air before we brought you up, you you have a concern about that game coming out of the open week? Yeah, this morning I've had two people who are pretty connected reach out to me with concerns. And look, this goes – I guess is the preamble that there's what, I guess a week and a half between now and when Vanderbilt scheduled to play Ole Miss and, you know, there's time for guys to get cleared and those sorts of things. But I think there are some significant concerns. Um, I, I'll put it this way. I think if there were a game this weekend, I don't think they would be playing. Um, and I think there are some things that have moved and a little bit of a, of a, I don't want to say questionable, maybe a just bad direction in terms of them being able to play in two weeks from now. Again, there's a lot of time between now and then, uh, but I have some concerns that they would be playing uh, in two weeks as of right now. Now, you had the LSU-Florida game postponed as well. Besides that, the SEC has come through this relatively unscathed through this first four weeks, I guess. Do you feel like there is anything inherent going on with Vanderbilt that has made them more susceptible in this situation than some of the other programs? Is it just that it's Nashville, or is that even an impact? Um, you know, a, a couple of things were given to me off the record, and I'll 
I'll keep those under my hat out of respect. No bombshells there, really, Mm -hmm. so to speak. But just background I was given confidentially. Um, So there's a couple things there. But the bigger thing for me, and I've talked about this for a while, um, they've had some passive roster attrition uh, in the last year. They had, I think, if you include opt-outs, they've had 24 kids or so on scholarship. And this was as of about two weeks ago who had eligibility to play this year and they either forfeited it last year by transferring out or being run out or whatever. Uh, And then again, that number would include some opt-outs, which there's some that are public and several from what I understand are that are non-public including, I think maybe some more recent developments there. So I think that you have a roster situation where it's not just COVID, but for whatever reason, it came against the backdrop of some other types of attrition. Um, and, you know, look, you get in that spot where you're short some players and then you have a couple guys test positive, a couple guys ruled out through contact tracing, and that's how you get, you know, in the low 50s or so where they've been, uh, which is where that spot where you're not able to play, which they weren't last week. So I don't know that it's all just COVID, um, but they've had some roster attrition issues in addition to that that have kind of put them in this spot, uh, at least from my point of view. I think the SEC was really um, proactive all along with this thing and in setting that minimum number of scholarship athletes to play. uh, Feels like that was a pretty good move. You know, it's interesting. The number that they cited was 53, which I'm guessing wasn't by accident. That's what the NFL uses in terms of active rosters and there's some leeway in there in terms of if you have a group, you know, like an offensive line group, just for example, um, or a secondary group where you get hit unusually hard where it wipes out a lot of a room. You know, I think you get some leeway there, obviously. And I think there's some cases where you can play with less than 53 under some circumstances. But, yeah, I mean, there have been some uniform guidelines that have been set with some flexibility. Um, you know, at least try to deal with these things in advance and, uh, you know, maybe we're going to see how flexible those things are in about a week and a half. I don't know. Chris Lee with VandySports.com. Chris, as you continue to, I guess, navigate through this weird COVID season, what has been the, I guess the mindset of the coaching staff and the personnel staff over there, as far as these kids are, are they encouraging them to, to play? Are they just kind of saying, Hey, let's just get through this year and, and whatever happens happens. That's a good question. Um, Thank you. You know, obviously I think (laughs) there are always health concerns with some kids and, and you have some, you know, heart conditions and things like that with certain kids and especially with linemen. And, and you would hope that a coaching staff would look out for, for kids. And I, I don't have any indication um, that, that that's been otherwise at Vanderbilt. I, I don't have really a lot of concerns in terms of uh, them taking care of the kids. Um, but, man, it's just it's just a weird deal because you've got privacy issues with HIPAA and those sorts of things. I mean, it's really hard to – as you dig into this kind of story to, to see really what the root causes are, it, it's just been a, it's been a bizarre time for all of us. Um, you know, in addition to that, you've got a coach who 
um, is on the hot seat. Well, I don't know if he's on the hot seat, but there's been a lot of speculation about his job security. And, and that's what happens when you're 10 and 42 in the SEC or whatever he is at this point. And, and having said that, look, there's not a power five place in the country that supports its coaches and its athletes in football less than Vanderbilt. Uh, and so I think you've got to add that as background because that wouldn't be fair otherwise. But you've got a coach where the losses are also piling up, where they've been non-competitive uh, in their last two games. Um, and it's harder to see a path next year to much better things. I mean, they've got a quarterback who's returning, uh, who I think has shown some things and some offensive players, but they've got a senior late defense where a lot of those kids are going to be gone. I know that I've kind of taken a whining road to answer your question, but <laughs> um, you, you've got a backdrop of, of health concerns and privacy and those sorts of things. And then you've got that layer on top of things. Uh, and you've also, by the way, um, got attendance issues last we checked. They're not letting fans in right now, but their stadium is getting overrun by other teams' fans. And so it's just this really weird mix uh, that you deal with on this beat right now when you look at that program w- with all those things. And it's just uh, it's just been a crazy year. Well, I, it, r- the stadium being overrun by opposing fans is unfortunately a byproduct of cheap season tickets. And you can buy Vandy season tickets and then sell those games to to v- visiting fans for much higher markup. You you can sell a single game for what you paid for those tickets uh, for the season sometimes. So that's unfortunate. But that being said, it's still, it's still high-level college football. One would think that, you know, taking your kid to see a Vanderbilt LSU game would be fun. I don't know. Well, it, it's a product of a lot of things. Um, you know, you see this happen some with the Titans. Nashville's become this it city within the last mm-hmm. decade or so. And, and so – some of it is Nashville, right? That it's an attractive oh, place yeah. to visit. And so, uh, and, and then add that to the layer of the SEC where, um, you know, it's, it's easily the most attractive school uh, city to visit. It's, it's one of the few, you know, maybe the only big city, depending on where you put the bar there. So you, you add a layer on top of that. It's, it's a lot different um, going to a game in Nashville than it is Starkville or Oxford or, or Auburn or any number of places. So you've got that, but you've also got the fact that uh, there hasn't been a winning season since 2014. And, and, and to that, James Franklin showed um, that it was possible. And though he was never pleased with the attendance, but they weren't getting overrun and outnumbered in their own stadium for the most part. And so I think you have seen several shifts um, on those things. Again, it's just a really interesting thing to follow, but, um, you know, the, the thing is, the bottom line is they've got to start doing their part in winning some games because um, I think that their fans have shown that when you've got a winner, they will show up in greater numbers than they have shown up lately. Chris, you mentioned Derek Mason and, and his perceived status. Um, I guess my question is, and, and there's a lot, again, a lot at work here from the standpoint of, you know, can you fire a coach in the middle of COVID? But, you know, the flip side of that is you've had administrative changes, that kind of thing. But the flip side of that is, as you said earlier, they've not done a very good job of supporting that football program or athletics in general. I mean, there's just so much going on. How do you – if you fire him, it's strictly because of wins and losses. And is that 
enough? Well, look, at some point you've got to take care of your program, right? And if fans aren't showing up and things aren't going well in recruiting, uh, to, to some extent, whether that's Mason's fault or not, um, you've got to interject some energy in the fan base. So there's that dynamic of it. The problem with Derek is he came on the heels of James Franklin. And you can talk about how the East was less competitive then and those sorts of things, but I don't really care what conditions you talk about. James had them in the top 25 at the end of the season the last two years. Um, you know, and you look across campus, and Tim Corbin is proof that, you know, that program was nothing when he got there. He's winning national titles, and he's got either the best or the second best program in the country. Uh, depending on how you do the pecking order between Vandy and Florida. So I'm not saying this to say that things have not been difficult for Derek because they have. I think the school has broken a lot of promises to Derek. Um, I, I think, frankly, in a lot of cases, he's been dealt unfair hands. They don't have even the basics that they need at times. I think their their food and nutrition program, which I think he has made some efforts to try to shore up, uh, there's just basic funding issues with the school that have gotten in the way. And, um, and I, I talked to a source on campus last night, and this guy told me, he said, look, you know, they can talk about poverty and COVID and all those things that they want, but the fact is I'm around campus and there's still plenty of money. And you're looking at a school that's got, what, a six, seven, eight billion dollar endowment, wherever it stands today. I mean, Vanderbilt has always got the money to do more than it has with athletics. Uh, you know, you've seen that school cry selective poverty on so many occasions. Um, so I see this as kind of a two-pronged thing. I don't think that Derek has been given a lot of the tools that he needs to win. Uh, but on the other hand, when you're getting beat 41-7 to on back-to-back weeks and you've seen a coach that has won against a lot of the same obstacles – um, it may not just be a one or the other. It could be both. And I'm interested to see how this plays out at season's end. Still, still speaking with Chris Lee of AndySports.com. Chris, I have I kind of want to switch gears sort of um, to a to basketball because of kind of what you're talking about with wins and losses and coaching situations. I and mean, Jerry Stackhouse entering his second year as coach over at Vanderbilt and certainly a – an improvement last year over what what his the previous years were but he's certainly coming and made a big splash for Vanderbilt especially this year in recruiting with uh the signing of 67215 Miles Stude out of Gonzaga from Washington DC what's the buzz about that kid and the rest of this program uh, Miles Studi is going to be an interesting player because he was a back-to-the-basket kid in high school uh, playing at a very competitive level in D.C. Uh, it depends on who you talk to uh, on what kind of player he's going to be. There's some people that think that he's not what he was cracked up to be in recruiting rankings. Uh, at the same time, he's also a kid who is sort of transitioning to being uh, more of a facing-the-basket player and sort of a, a smaller stretch four or, or maybe a bigger wing. So uh, they lock us out of practice. We don't get to see. It is hard for me to tell you with my own two eyes what kind of player he can be. I guess we will find out in about six weeks or so. But, um, you know, I, I think kind of touching on where you're going with this, I think that Jerry Stackhouse did some big things with him a year ago in terms of getting the momentum shifted in the better direction, which God knows they needed. Uh, <laughs> it after couldn't losing, go any other direction. 
Yeah, after losing 20-whatever in a row in the league. But I think recruiting is going to be the thing with him. I, I, I think that the guy can coach. Um, I think he's very smart basketball-wise. But um, I think that – I know that right now they're recruiting. Uh, they were ranked in the top 25 not long ago. I think that is a little bit of a product of the situation. They got a number of early commits and locked those in. And I don't know that they've got any more spots where they can use to sign. I think they're going to end up in the 60s or the 70s when the dust settles on all this. So um, I think that'll be the question with Jerry is will he recruit well enough uh, to get them kind of out of the the basement that they've been in? Because there's a lot of other great coaches in the league. Uh, and the other schools, for the most part, are beating them in recruiting. Uh, again, good momentum to end the year. Uh, but I think that's the question that everybody I have that I talk to about Jerry revolves around, will he recruit well enough to get them out of the spot they're in right now? Chris, as you say that, though, I mean, with the credentials that he has, I mean, as a former NBA player, as a guy who was pretty well fast-tracking toward an NBA head coaching job at some point, what is it that makes – recruiting potentially his um his downfall i think jerry is used to the pro lifestyle um i I think eventually he wants to be in the nba and and you look at what he did in that g league i mean he was the coach of the year there and again you watch him coach yeah you feel like his players play hard you feel like he did a lot to coach them up a year ago you know he had them in games the georgia one in particular (laughs) <laughs> is one that I remember they ended the first half uh, with three walk-ons on the floor, and yet if Georgia doesn't hit a 40-foot at the buzzer, <laughs> Vandy walks out with the win that day. Mm-hmm. But recruiting's a grind. It's being out there in AAU tournaments. Um, it is asserting yourself on the phone and getting in touch with kids. Um, it is really a grind, and in the NBA you don't deal with that. And, and from what I understand – that's been the criticism of him is they're not on the phone as much with kids. They're not out there as much. And those are the things that you have got to do to win recruiting battles. Yes. I think being Jerry Stackhouse will get you in a few, uh, but I look at what happened um, with the kid at Brentwood Academy, whose name escapes me. Uh, that, that was a kid where they had a shot. Um, you know, the, the five-star kid who a lot of people think is going to be better than Darius Garland. The say kid. the name. I'll, yes. Um, but that's one where it was a little bothersome to me that I think they had a jump there and they didn't wind up in his top 10, uh, but TSU did. Um, I think that's a little bit of a concerning sign uh, when you've got a family uh, that I think had some connections there with him and maybe even according to some wanting him at Vandy. Mm. Um, when you're not able to get in on the top player, uh, like that, even in the top 10 in your backyard, I do think that's been something that people have been concerned about. Okay. You know, Chris, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Candace Lee, formerly Candace Story, women's basketball player at Vanderbilt, obviously is now the AD there. From her time in this position to this point, what do you, what feel to, do you get for, you know, how important athletics are and Vanderbilt athletics are, you know, for her in in this leadership? It depends on who you talk to. Um, you know, I think that 
Look, it's going to be tough for anybody who's the AD there. And I think one of the big problems that you have is a culture around athletics where the school hasn't supported it and also an internal culture at the school to where I don't know that they've had a lot of talent in, in McGugan in terms of um, support staff and some things like that, that that maybe other schools have. I think it was a big positive that they brought in Tommy McClellan and uh, Catherine Kelly. You know, they got two deputy ADs. Kelly has been an AD at a D3 school. She's been an executive AD at, uh, at Dartmouth, too. So you get some like-mindedness in terms of how to work at an academic school. And then you get a guy in Tommy McClellan who has been the AD at Louisiana Tech, I think was a really good get for them. Um, I'm going to be very interested to see how this plays out. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Daniel Deermeyer really wanting athletics to succeed. Um, I don't really go publicly by what Vanderbilt says because I don't think they can generally be trusted. Um, we've had so many broken promises in terms of athletics. I go by what people relay to me in private conversations and meetings. The thing that I've heard with Daniel Deermeyer again and again and again is he would like to win. Um, and that he wants them to be competitive. He doesn't want them to get out of the SEC, that he knows they've got a long way to go in terms of getting there, and it's going to take facilities and commitments and all those sorts of things. So what I hear privately is that you have a chancellor who views athletics as an important part of the school, uh, but you look at what they've run up against on every turn. I've had so many promises made about funding and stadiums coming, and Derek Nason has heard those too, by the way. And it just seems like they just wait for an excuse to cut something down. And they've got one that's dropped in their lap with COVID this year. So, you know, I, I hear good things about the chancellor. I also know that that's a hard battle to fight. I think administratively the Kirkland Hall faction has not been big supporters of athletics. I think you have some big donors that have not been big supporters of athletics who a lot of times would – view athletics as a threat for fundraising dollars that should go to what they view as more important priorities. So to me, it's very interesting because I think you've got a chancellor who privately says the right things and says things that I think that would be encouraging to fans. But um, I'm at the point where I'm like, I will believe it when I see it, when they release plans publicly, when they put shovels in the ground. And I think that's the big thing to me is can he win the public battle and get the funding uh, because if he can't, I don't think the issues they deal with are just going to go away without some really strong leadership that is pushing in an opposite direction uh, than recent presidents. And, and I'm speaking about Nick Zeppos in particular have been willing to push. Chris Lee, VandySports.com. Chris, thanks for joining us here on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today. We appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you so much. All right. When we come back, it's Wild and Wacky Wednesday. We got a little bit about the Titans, and just as an aside, Summertown has just advanced in the state volleyball tournament to the semifinals with a win over Watertown. We'll be right back on Southern Middle Tennessee Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint.